2: from our basement to your headphones Barely even know who we are But
1: changing the unknown In a wild time Thank you for downloading the Podcastianos Now here are your hosts, Jordan Hall and Eric Wayne
2: Welcome into another episode of the Podcastianos I'm Jordan Hall Eric is on vacation this week above the bridge So I'm really pleased to be joined by likely a familiar name uh, for many of you who are on Twitter, it's Jules Posner. Jules, thanks so much for hanging out with me tonight. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm stoked to be here. Glad to be joining you.
2: Yeah, like I said, uh, we follow each other on Twitter. I find uh, your tweets, your analysis very interesting. Uh, I feel like you, you have something to, to add to the conversation, which uh, sometimes on Twitter is, is a little on the rare side. So very <laughs> glad to have the chance to actually um, talk with you. So tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Uh, Right now, I'm an incoming grad student. I'll be going to Temple this fall, and I'm going to be basically studying sports administration stuff to try to work my way into the nonprofit sector uh, because I want to do community outreach through baseball. Uh, That's like my ultimate goal. Whether it's like joining the nonprofit wing of an organization or starting my own nonprofit at some point, I really my kind of core mission in a uh, coaching is to make sure that kids in inner cities have access to baseball equipment and decent baseball facilities and can get the instruction they need to, to fall in love with the game the way I did when I was little. So I just want to kind of give that gift to, to anyone who, who wants it.
2: Yeah, that's really, that's really awesome. I, I love to hear that. We definitely need more people, um, impacting the inner cities and specifically for for the game that we all love. Um so you spent over a decade, you said, in stand-up comedy. How did you get into that? Like tell us a little bit about the the comedian's
1: life. So I uh yeah, I started stand up in San Francisco back in 2009 San Francisco is my hometown. I grew up there. Uh I was always a stand-up comedy fan. Like even when I was a little kid, me and my brother would stay up and watch comedy central all night and watch like all the half hours and like all the like premium blend and all those like kind of quick seven minute spot shows and I'd always had an affinity for it and then uh after I stopped playing baseball and returned home to San Francisco I uh, wasn't really doing much anything I always dabbled in music when I was younger and uh had that performing itch all the time but uh just kind of hanging out in my like social group working in restaurants and stuff, you know, you go out and you're like having beers and making jokes. And a lot of my friends were like, you know, you're like really, your timing is like really unnatural. Like most people don't have timing like that. And I was like, well, I've always like thought about doing stand-up. And my friend who was a poet in San Francisco ran a open mic. And he told me like, if you ever like get a notebook and write some jokes down and you feel comfortable like coming around and doing some jokes, like uh, go for it, I'll support that. So I just started writing my little ideas down and uh, stand-up comedy is like, it's a compulsion. Like once I started, I was hooked and uh, yeah, I was just doing open mics every night in San Francisco. And then eventually you kind of graduate to doing book shows and getting paid a little bit here and there uh, and working the local clubs and stuff. So I kind of broke in at the punchline in San Francisco as a host and got to work with like really good headliners and do the local showcases that got me some good exposure with LA comics. And then, uh, about five years ago, I moved to LA and I was there for five years, uh, just kind of grinding it out there, trying to make something happen. And, uh, you know, it's really, it's, it's very competitive and, uh, making money in stand up is hard. Uh, (laughs) and living in California is also really hard. It's expensive. And I started, uh, kind of Thinking of like, well, do I really want to be chasing this forever? And I happened to get into baseball writing through stand-up comedy. I knew a guy that uh, worked at a like a basically a blog aggregate, and uh, he was able to get me my first writing gig, uh, writing for the Giants. And I parlayed that into writing for the Tigers somehow. And uh, basically, it kind of took off from there. And I got kind of picked up by Forbes eventually. And uh so I really haven't even been writing that long but through comedy I got like those connections but uh after I moved here in January to Savannah Georgia I still uh toured around a little bit but then when COVID-19 hit that kind of took me into grad school so kind of semi retired but uh Philadelphia has a good scene and there's actually a punchline club there so if I do oh, get wow. the itch I could probably get some work in there if I want to and uh it was a big part of my life and a big part of who I am and uh yeah, I mean, it was just a, it was a crazy 10 years, just a lot of going on the road and partying and meeting kind of peripheral borderline celebrity type people and doing weird festivals and going to weird places. And, uh, yeah, it's incredible experience. And I'm, I'm really glad I did it, and, but I'm also like really looking forward to what's next as well
2: so as somebody who you know we we do this podcast we don't make any money off it um Mm -hmm. the first time you got paid to you know do what you what you love to do something that you kind of see as an art form what is that feeling like obviously we don't know so it's not necessarily uh but I've always kind of been been really interested in that feeling like when it actually hits like what what is that like
1: initially like you don't really expect to get paid. So whenever like somebody like hands around a tip jar and then like comes up to you after the show and puts 10 bucks in your hand, you're like, cool. Like this is kind of secondary because standup kind of hides behind that like uh, artsy, like we do this for the love of the game kind of thing. And we're not in it for the money kind of thing. So a lot of bookers will use that as an excuse to not pay people. So you're always like <laughs> kind of surprised when you actually get paid. But when you start breaking in at clubs and getting actual paid work and working with headliners and stuff, I do kind of equate that to like, kind of like getting drafted in a way. That makes sense. Where it's almost like, yeah, you like, you go, you level up and you go, you're like a pro from that point on, once you're like getting on the flyers at the local club and your name's in the newspaper and stuff. like you're on a different, it kind of elevates you a little bit from like the, the open mic and like that kind of bar show scene. Not that you don't do open mics and bar shows in the interim, but you know, it does, it does separate you a little bit having a, a club association. And uh, yeah, like just once the money hits your hand, it doesn't really change anything because you really don't know when you're going to get paid next or how much. It's <laughs> exactly. very unreliable. And I was waiting tables the whole time. So like that's, still something that uh, I'm probably going to have to do while I'm in school. So that, that keeps you humble the whole time.
2: So what's your relationship with the Tigers? Obviously you said you wrote for the Giants. That makes sense. Uh, how, how did the Tigers become the second team out of? So <laughs> I, uh, of...
1: I, it is weird. I always had an affinity for Detroit for some reason, I guess mm. growing up in San Francisco and watching it rapidly gentrify and seeing it become very expensive. You're kinda like, where could I live? That would be cool and cheap. Uh and I had always really Detroit been fits drawn that to bill, the that's Midwest. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of my early touring was in the Midwest. That was some place I got I went to Minneapolis like really early on in my career. And uh I really liked the Midwest a lot. And I thought like Detroit is like a cool up and coming place that's not like too blown up, or at least it wasn't like five years ago. And uh it just really stood out to me as a cool place so I kind of had it in the back of my mind as like this kind of backup plan destination and uh, eventually I uh, when I was getting into writing because I had contributed to like some SB Nation blogs and stuff and I was kind of dabbled a little bit but once I got picked up writing I wasn't making any money and I was like well how do I monetize this? So I thought a good way to do it would be to start my own website. So I started a Detroit knock city was this little website I kicked around with for like two weeks. Um, and I was like, if I really want to show that I am good at analyzing teams and comprehending the game and organizations really quickly, I should pick a new team that Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about. So I just kind of dove into Detroit, and the Detroit Tigers organization, and I found, I also thought that they were kind of an apt comparison for a Giants fan, uh, because they have like similar ballpark factors, they were kind of at similar spots in their rebuild until the Tigers bottomed out again, (laughs) and uh, there were just some similarities there that I thought, and Giants Twitter is massive, there's a lot of voices in Giants Twitter, and Tigers Twitter is smaller, not small though, Uh, and I felt that I can maybe Find a way to monetize my writing somehow Uh, if I started my own website and kind of you know learned about the Tigers and became like kind of a a person in the Tigers internet world and uh, simultaneously I was pitching around essays about inner city baseball and the shortcomings of RBI baseball and I pitched it to Forbes and they said we don't really do one-offs but we like your writing and we saw you cover the Tigers like we need a Tigers guy Uh, So that's how I ended up covering the Tigers exclusively uh, for Forbes in the end.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask you about Forbes. It it feels like, you know, Forbes, I always think of like, you know, money and all of that stuff. It feels like, you know, the bougiest of all the sports websites out there as you're writing. Is it like a, a pinky up situation?
1: Uh, I try to always have a value slant to things. I think that's like the biggest thing because I'm not like an economics guy. I really don't, I'm not good at math. I don't know that much. Like, obviously, I was a comedian for 10 years. I'm terrible with money and, uh, that was the worst investment. So I, I do know that they really wanted to have a strong analytical lean and that's something I could do. So I felt like just presenting it as like, hey, like I just, read the glossary of FanGraphs and stat cast like all day like I can tell you what value someone has maybe not in money but in performance and they're like you know like that's as long as it has that slant where you're talking about value then that's that's fine that's kind of sets us apart and it's in the Forbes kind of narrative
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, So we'll get to the actual baseball talk here in a second. But uh, do you still do you still play? Uh, I've seen videos, you posted videos of your swing, it looks pretty good.
1: Yeah, I still play. Uh, I like participate in adult rec leagues and stuff on my free time, even though this league got shut down due to COVID. So I haven't played this uh, spring and summer. But I started playing and training last year because I started coaching. uh, Because kind of phasing out of comedy, I wanted to get into coaching. And uh, I was a volunteer assistant coach at LA High School last year. And it was was a really fun experience, but you know, there was a lot of aspects of playing that had changed and a lot of hitting and coaching philosophies that had evolved since I had played. So I had a lot to learn and I was always kind of a learn by doing person. So I figured like, I'm gonna start going to the gym, following all these like trainers and kind of putting together my own training plan listening to all these coaches and really jumping into data and stuff and trying to get a little bit up to speed and use myself as like a lab rat. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I do play mostly to learn, uh, to continue learning and to continue training and to kind of be up on all the trends in training and all the different hitting philosophies. Like I've experimented with a million different (laughs) styles of hitting and stuff. And it's really fun because I think, uh, one thing i was hoping to do with my writing was showcase an ability to work with players and to kind of articulate these kind of concepts from a from an like kind of be that go between between analyst and coach mm-hmm. uh, that seems to be something that's coveted in the industry but also i just think it's something that is important to any youth player that wants to advance in the game and uh i definitely got more into youth coaching as things went on but yeah, I still, I do like to play because I like to compete and it's fun and it's exercise. Uh, but at the same time, it is an experiment too. I like to see what works and what doesn't work. And uh, I've been really lucky to have a couple of kind of uh, mentors uh, that are pretty established coaches that have reached out to me through my writing that have kind of taken me under their wing and like and given me uh, some pointers and stuff that has made me like a much more well-rounded coach as well. So it's all really I mean, it's fun for me personally, but a lot of it has to do with what I can pass down to like the next generation of players. Gotcha. That's, that's sweet.
2: Uh, if you guys yeah. want to get in touch with the show on Twitter, I am at Jordan Hall 23 Jules is at Jules Posner, and the show is at Podcastianos Instagram, uh, backslash Jordan, or Jordanio4, Facebook.com backslash Podcastianos. And we'd love it if you take the time to subscribe rate and review us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever else you're listening to the show.
1: I'm Blaine Hardy, and you're listening to the podcast,
2: Janos. All right, Jules, let's jump right into it. Um, Sounds good. We're about to have some real, actual baseball to watch. How excited are you for uh, opening, in air quotes, opening day?
1: I'm cautiously optimistic. I I didn't think this would happen, uh, the way things have been going. And I wasn't sure if all the players were going to be able to get together and, you know, comply with all these new regulations and be able to and then you know the whole labor disputes. It really got ugly and bleak for a while. So, and now like the season, it's happening so fast. Uh, yeah, so definitely. It's really. Uh, I'm I'm excited. I mean, I I love, I love this. And it's a, it's really great to be able to to do this, even if it's short. I I still think it like counts and all that stuff because, you know, it's it's just a weird one, and uh, that's gonna happen every half century or so yeah and uh i'm super excited about it though i mean it's just it's really going to be a good distraction from everything that's going on for everyone and uh it's you know it's the best game so i'm stoked
2: how much of of summer camp did you get to watch were you able to to post up in front of mlb.com and just take it all in
1: yeah i've been uh i've been watching as much as i can uh especially because uh you know i'm I have to watch the Tigers, and I'm just very curious of, you know, what, what they're up to in terms of their uh, rebuild and how everyone's looking. Uh, but also, yeah, it's, baseball's just on all day for me. Uh, the second I, like, the games come on, I have, like, the four-screen MLB TV <laughs> app going, and uh, yeah, it's just kind of constant, because I'm always, like looking for inspiration for articles, but I'm also researching and studying swings and stuff like that, and kind of talking about hitting all day with my friends and whoever, so uh, it really is like kind of, uh, I guess since like we've all been sheltering in place for a long time, it's kind of made it a small world in terms of that, where we're just kind of, but that's how I've been getting through, is just kind of Analyzing and watching, and uh you know, I, I'm stoked that it's going to be competitive again, and we're going to get some some real live baseball going.
2: So, who have you come away from summer camp most impressed with? Any any swings that you've thought that wow, that's a real real big jump up from last year, or obviously arms too?
1: Yeah, I mean, Kristen Stewart obviously is a he's really he's hitting well. Um, you know, and I've said this before, and I, his swing is not perfect but his approach has really evolved and I think that's that's something I wrote about last year is that his approach is evolving he knows what pitches he can really handle and uh I tweeted yesterday that he's really stubborn with his approach which is good if you really have an idea of what you want to hit why offer it anything else like striking out looking isn't as valueless as people make it seem if you're not if you're chasing and striking out that is way less value. So it's good that he has a good idea and he's getting a lot of mistakes in those areas where he can handle it. And he's, he's hitting well. I mean, I, I do have some concerns about the sustainability of it, just based on his ball flight. He has like a lot of pulled top spin, low line drives. Uh, he's not getting much backspin. He's not getting much natural loft, but if he's hitting the ball hard and through shifts, I mean, I'm not going to complain about that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm, I've been really impressed with Jonathan Scope. I really wasn't sure what uh, he had to offer at this point, but, you know, he looks really dialed in. Uh, even that double today to right center field was really impressive. Uh, it looks like if he does anything, he's going to hit. I'm concerned about his glove a little bit, but, you know, that's a fair trade, I think, for a little bit of offense, considering the team. And obviously Riley Green uh, really stood out. He's uh, – He's looked like he, he's belonged, and uh, I think that's really important when you're talking about a 19-year-old yeah. uh, to have somebody that really just – he gets on the field and he's he's there. Uh, so I'm I'm excited to see how he develops because he's still young. He's not fully physically developed yet, and the more reps he gets, he's really going to – he has a mature approach already. I think a ne- the next step for him would be more calculated aggression – Uh, early in counts. I'd I'd like to see him be a little bit more aggressive now. Um, And I think seeing where uh, Jacoby Jones picks up too, because he really had a stretch last year that was pretty, pretty inspiring, uh, considering how low down the totem pole he was as an offensive factor. Now all of a sudden he can become a legit above average contributor. And uh, that's pretty exciting. Uh, so I'm really curious to see how he uh, follows up last year, if he can keep that up.
2: I've seen a lot, seen a lot of Cameron Mabin kind of emerging as, as this leader. Um, obviously, he was the, the second captain as far as these two teams go. Um, He's only going to be around obviously for sixty games as an analytical guy, how do you quantify like the experience value and the mentoring that he's going to bring to a lot of guys? I mean basically, the entire roster is full of of guys who have little to no track record of success. Um, go ahead
1: you know it's a that's a It's a hard question because if you're really going to be purely analytical, you'd probably have to say none. There's like not really much value to that. If they're not winning, if he's like a negative WAR player, then what good pretty, is the leadership? Likely, yeah, yeah. Uh, but if if he's not producing in the positive for the team, then that's really not a positive in reality. Um And it's not like he's the only veteran. Um, not that I'm rooting against him or anything, but just analytics has made this a much colder world to veterans, and oh, that is sure. kind of the reality. Especially when someone like riley green is breathing down your neck and there's still a matchup thing too where there's a majority right-handed pitcher still and green presumably would have a platoon advantage being a left-handed hitter so like you're only as good of a leader as as your win-loss column because you know the giants when they were struggling the last couple years like people were really bummed out on their veteran players like all you could talk about is the contracts and like, gosh, what a huge mistake! And no one's talking about like the intangibles and leadership anymore when you're losing. Uh, it's yeah. really only good when you're winning. So if Maven can come on and contribute and recreate what he did last year in New York, which I'm suspicious of because of the hitting <laughs> environment he's entered into. Um, however, I do like him and I like I want to see him succeed because he is such a great narrative and he's had a very difficult career but he's really seemed to, to evolve into a very good veteran hitter. Uh, So I'd like to see him produce. And, uh, but from an analytics standpoint, yeah, if you're not winning, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that much anymore.
2: So let's move on to, to an arm. Uh, Michael Fulmer, obviously he's coming off of several injuries. Um, He's, I feel like last week we talked about how um, it doesn't really matter what any of his stat lines look like over the course of this season. We're not, we're not going anywhere. All you want to see is him getting better from start to start. Um, what have you seen from him this spring? And do you think that, um, I mean, obviously we probably missed a trick by not trading him when he was at the peak of his value. Uh, I, is it a completely sunk cost? I mean, are we, are we ever going to get back into that, that frame where We're looking at a Kyle Schwab or someone like that for, for him coming back.
1: Uh, I don't know. I think Michael Fulmer, I think there is enough data from his two full healthy seasons to say, this is the guy there could be. So there's some middle ground that he could be that guy again. Maybe he doesn't have the same velo, but I still think there's a lot there. I do think one thing I noticed was to secondary pitches seemed a lot sharper than I remember I didn't follow or cover the Tigers when he was healthy so I'm kind of just basing this off of any video I had seen from then and uh, it just seems like his secondary pitches have kind of ticked up a little bit and one thing that injuries especially long-term injuries do to players uh, from my experience and from even former players that I've talked to is that you do still evolve mentally in the game and I think that maybe Hopefully in that time, he learned how to pitch more uh, without actually being able to pitch, but just the mental approach to it and how to sequence better and call his own game and kind of command things that way to make up for any loss in velocity. But he's still not at an age where he would have a serious decline in velocity. And considering what everyone's doing now with training and soto and, you know, edgertronic cameras, there's no reason to say why he doesn't tick up in velocity again. Uh, and when he's throwing hard, he's very tough to hit, even though uh when he left the game, there were a lot more two-seamers working down around the knees back then than there are now. Now it's like four-seamers up in the zone. I do think that the approach to pitching has changed and his repertoire might be kind of a relic of a different age already. But I think his secondary pitches are, are good enough. And uh, if he can be a back-end guy, that's pretty good considering – I've been really impressed with Spencer Turnbull. His yeah. stuff has looked really good, and especially his secondary pitches. Uh, I thought his curveball looked really good, and he was stealing strikes with it early in counts and kind of tricking people with his fastball because he was throwing so many sliders, which I thought was really – I think it's kind of a clever approach for him. If he can command his secondary pitches better, then he can just show his fastball, and that would be very difficult at bat. And if Matthew Boyd could take another step and Daniel Norris can take another step and uh, Fulmer could be a really good back end guy. And, uh, I, I think his stuff's not like electric, like it was, but he still has a very violent delivery. That is the ball. I can imagine as a hitter, I can't say this for sure that the ball would get on you uh, just mm-hmm. the way he throws. It just seems like he delivers the ball a little bit closer to the plate than other people. Or there's just, a little bit more coming at you than just arm action. Um, and I think his stuff still moves a lot and he doesn't throw a straight ball. Um, I think it's a fourth or fifth guy. That's pretty good. You know, and he's not on a, I don't think he's on a huge contract right now or anything. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have made sense to trade him at his peak value because the Tigers thought that they'd be competing now and they would need him, you know? Right. So, yeah. Uh, but I, I do I do get that because they do need those kind of parts now because they're rebuilding again. But uh, I like him, and I, I think that he has good secondary pitches and should be able to be at least eat some innings and be a solid contributor at the back end. I mean, what more can you ask for on a – you know, after – what is it? year off like tommy john and a knee injury yeah right yeah
2: combine those all right so let's jump to your piece on on spencer torkelson uh you you posted it within the last couple days um basically you broke down the nuts and bolts of the of the first third base situation um Mm -hmm. the way the way i read it which seems to be kind of just conventional logic the the lower at first base his ceiling will be lower and his uh, potential of hitting it will be higher and vice versa at third base so your tigers gm you know, Alavila's gone. I think I think you your ascension to that spot
1: would be welcomed by many. What's your play here? Um, well, I, I I get it. Uh, I think that's the weird thing that I learned when I was researching this was that I I understand this decision, but what I don't understand is I don't know if they're calculating the potential risk at inhibiting his offensive development by having him focused on learning a new position at the professional level Um, because it's really I was researching this today even more so because I was trying to find examples of like who are worth the most of all like who had the most valuable first base seasons of all time and Albert Pujols had a run in the early 2000s that was insane Uh, he was Nobody approached those numbers since. He's posted one, two, three, three eight plus war seasons and three uh seven plus war seasons wow. in the early two thousands. But in order to do that, and this was at first base, um, he had to hit have an over one seventy-four WRC plus three times and then in his down offensive years he actually had pretty solid defensive metrics that helped kind of bring up his uh his overall score and then in 2003 he posted a 9.5 f FWAR for Fangraphs and uh but he was playing left field oh, which I gotcha. thought was very interesting yeah. uh because if you're going to make Torkelson move positions like why not make him move to one that he would still have some value uh, defensively if he's even below average slightly Uh, and if you but I think what it comes down to is is do you want to turn him into Josh Donaldson or do you want to keep him in his natural position and hope he becomes Albert Pujols and of course these are high-end ceiling projections but what is more likely for him to become like do you turn him into a guy or do you just hope he blossoms into a different guy? Um, but also I think Albert Pujols was Spencer Torkelson's age now when he was posting these numbers I'm not not <laughs> positive. Very interesting, uh, yeah. Um, but I think from that perspective, I understand that he, if he could be even approach being an average defensive third baseman and we assume that he hits his ceiling offensively, yes, he could be a six to eight war guy every season. But the likelihood of that happening doesn't seem super high because it's very rare that you see, because when you watch the draft, you see how many shortstops go off the board. And then when they get to the pros, they're center fielders, their second baseman, you very rarely see a first baseman move to a skill position like that. So right. yeah. it's, it's a, it's a very weird transition, but I do understand the appeal of that because even if he is below average and hits, pretty well like 30 percent above average in terms of wrc plus he would be uh like a, a round five war player which is good mm-hmm. uh but at first base he'd really have to slug like he'd have to be 160 170 wrc plus to even sniff seven war um so I, I think that it's an interesting choice and frankly if they were trying to get the most wins above replacement out of somebody I'm surprised they didn't pick someone that has Austin Martin I'll just say that for lack of a better (laughs) because it's like they're trying to get it because Austin Martin may be more he may amass more wins above replacement than Torkelson just because his base running and his defense and his offense Uh, however I think in terms of the win loss column Spencer Torkelson can win you games with a swing of the bat And I think when you're thinking about the team's deficiency on offense, you kind of just really have to lean into someone's offensive ceiling and kind of hope that you can either get league average defense from him at first base and have him be like a four to six WAR guy, or maybe he turns into an Albert Pujols and can actually transcend the first base position and, you know, approach those kind of levels that, you're kind of hoping to get if he turns into an okay third baseman.
2: Right. So yeah.
1: and it's, the, a, it's weird.
2: And the thing is, is, you know, people talk about how much it affects you to, you know, have to learn another position while you're also, um, you know, trying to develop as a hitter. And I feel like the way we develop guys, oh, this is all anecdotal. I don't have any, any stats to back this up. I feel like we fall into patterns. Like we develop right-handed relievers the same way. And by and large, they all turn out to be Ryan Perry. You know, Christian Stewart is in a lot of ways, develop, falling into the same pattern as the way we develop Stephen Moya. We've already tried this with Nick Castellanos. We tried him here, there, everywhere. And, you know, obviously hitting wise, he, he did still turn out to be a good player, but, he just was never going to be a, you know, above average fielder anywhere than probably first base. I don't know. I just, he's such a, a transcendent offensive talents. Like why are we trying to, to screw with him? That's yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, that's something I don't understand either, especially because he never played any other position in college. Uh, but I guess, you know, maybe they have enough, Faith in his hit tool that this won't inhibit him. Uh, but I just, I don't understand it. I mean, if you're gonna pick a first baseman first overall, just let him be and let him mash and hope he turns into that kind of pool hole ceiling that you're really, because that's what you're hoping to get is a transcendent hitter. So just let him play first and let him hit. And hey, like even in the article I mentioned, Paul Goldschmidt had one of those seven plus war seasons and he was a gold glover with a minus overall defensive score. Um, So like the, really the barrier to being a really, really top elite first baseman is kind of low. And uh, I think that we get really married to wins above replacement, but wins above replacement doesn't necessarily always end up in the win column. Um, And I think trying to steal a couple extra wins by moving him to third could be really detrimental to his development as a hitter. Um, But I mean, for everyone's sake, I hope that they're wrong and he either ends up at first and is great or he plays third and he's okay at it. I mean, even, I know he hasn't fielded anything cleanly really in a (laughs) summer camp at third, but when you do see him make a play, you see an athlete in there. Mm -hmm. um, It's not like he's some schlub that you know can't move around and has no mobility or field awareness and doesn't know how to he can't get down to field a ground ball like he moves well for his size especially but I think he actually has the tools to be a good defensive first baseman too and I think that's something that's getting overlooked as well is that he could be a pretty good defensive first baseman he's not he's way different than Pete Alonzo I think he's a much more gifted athlete and there's a reason why he's the first overall pick and Pete Alonzo was I think he's like a, he wasn't a, even a first rounder, I, if I'm remembering correctly. And that's like kind of the most common comparison. Uh, but I think when you take someone like Matt Olson last year, who broke his damn bone and he had some time on the DL, and he's probably one of the consensus top first basemen in the game all around right now, hitting and fielding. And he only posted 3.9 fan war last year. So that just kind of goes to show you how, like the temptation to move Torkelson around to get more value out of him is, is a real thing to consider. But in the end, you just gotta let the guy hit. Yeah.
2: Uh, you, you started the, the, the article with the phrase, the Detroit Tigers have a way of making things more interesting than they have to be. Um, I, I thought that was a, a perfect, perfect summation of the, of the article.
0: So start looking in the right place with LinkedIn. You can hire professionals like a professional
2: post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, So one more, one more topic. Um, You know, we have, we have 60 games coming up. Uh, Are there anything specific that you would like to learn about uh, any specific players over these next, uh, what, two months?
1: Yeah. I mean, I want to know if Jacoby Jones is for real. Uh, because he can either be a good guy to have uh, for the remainder of his contract, or he could be a flippable commodity. Um, a team that's in the thick of things might overpay for someone who, because someone will buy a hot streak, you know, like right. that. Yep. If he's hot at the right time, someone will, they'll pay for that because he's also, you know, his defensive numbers have fluctuated pretty, pretty dramatically. But I think the, Looking at him play center field and move around, I think people assume that he's good. And uh, (laughs) I think he'll return to being good defensively. Um, So I'd really like to see if he's for real because I was really impressed with the developments that came out last year and his swing was just much more simple, much more direct. I think he's definitely found a way to use his mask because he's not a little guy. Mm -hmm. I think there's this kind of like, conception that he's like this like young little dude but he's he's huge and when he gets his weight behind behind his swing he can really do damage like he's he was hitting effortless bombs last year when he was when he was doing well so I'd I'd really like to see if if he's for real and that home run like you could see what he can do and I think that's very uh very appealing um But I'm also curious to see, obviously, like, I think everyone just really roots for Kristen Stewart, uh, just because he's, he's kind of an unlikely hero looking type of guy, like he's a little undersized for his position. He's not like a super graceful, like mover, but he's got a lot of heart. He's got a good mind for it, too. I think that's one thing that gets overlooked is that he's a really mature hitter it's just I don't think he's figured it out with a swing completely um and I'd be interested to see you know if he if he takes another step and can maybe get into that like around 100 WRC plus range this year offensively and uh, maybe become a serviceable defender um because he's just like a seems like a good guy (laughs) everybody just really seems to like him a lot and uh you know I'm curious to see how how that goes and you want to see if Candelario can bounce back. Uh, he had a really rough year last year, and uh, but he showed some promise the year before. And uh, obviously, like CJ Cron or Scope, if these guys can really max out and get flipped, or maybe they can just throw a contract at him early and be like, hey, you know, this got messed up this year, but let's try it again next year. Yeah. Because there's really no one, no one breathing down their necks right now on the farm. Uh, so there's there's definitely room to keep them around. And uh, for pitching, I think Buck Farmer is always yeah. interesting. Uh, he has, like, that Kristen Stewart vibe, but for a pitcher, like, people just love this guy. And, uh, you know, I just think he's got good raw stuff, and he just seems to have some really good attitude. <laughs> and uh, it's just hard to root against someone like that. And then, obviously, like Joe Jimenez, if he can develop a good secondary pitch, he could be a very – very good closer because he has like high spin fastball He throws hard he's got the look like he, he seems he does, like he gosh. could be the closer of the future if he could just find a way to throw a secondary pitch for a strike
2: yeah I, I honestly you hit the nail on the head with the three guys that I want to see in Jacoby Candelario and Stewart I mean at at the end of the year we, we kind of need to know like are these are these our guys um, and yeah. you talked about with, with Jacoby how people will buy a hot streak What's really nice about a 60 game season is a hot streak doesn't have to be very long for it to be, you know, compared to the, to the season length, a five or six game stretch. People might be buying that and it's hard to tell what, what he could bring back.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, also you could potentially be getting a plus defender as well in a very important position. And uh, another thing too is like, yeah, between those three guys, like whether they're, your future guys or are they just going to be adequate placeholders but either way you want them to be adequate even if they're placeholders uh because there has to be some appeal for people to sign in the future there has to be some forward momentum in the organization going for them to be an appealing destination for any free agents and uh i think that's a big factor as well
2: um, okay. One last topic, uh, 538 put out their projections today. They have us at 24 and 36, which is second to last in the AL also second to last in baseball, uh, ahead of the, the Orioles. Uh, are you taking the over or the under of 24 wins? Uh,
1: I think I'll take the over. Okay. Um, Some optimism. yeah. I just think that this season's going to, mess up some teams i think there's just going to be some teams that really underperform and then get the anxiety early but i'm not saying they're going to blow past that they might get one more win Uh, but i I think that there's like teams that have high expectations that could flame out like not that i i mean i'm huge front runner for the white Sox right now but i could see that totally falling apart just as easily Mm -hmm. um and just there's like a few other teams like that when you're like the Royals actually look pretty decent but that could fall apart too and I just think the pressure of the 60 game season for teams with high expectations you can really see some teams crash and burn and end up losing these like games they should have won to the Tigers and the Tigers kind of just snag some weird little victories here and there and end up kind of sneaking out looking a little bit better than they they were supposed to
2: hey friends Do you love podcasts like the one you just listened to? Have you ever dreamed about having your own? Well, my name is Michael, and I work for Truthwork Media. We believe that everyone has a story, and every story deserves a podcast. Let us help you get started. Look us up at www.truthworkmedia.com, fill out our questionnaire, and I'll schedule a time to talk. It's really that easy. Truthwork Media. Everyone has a story. Yours needs a podcast. All right, let's move on to some Twitter questions. Um, Eric is not here, so there's no uh, power rankings. And I didn't see anything on the road, so let's just move right to uh, the Twitter questions. First one comes in from at uh, Jordan Ryan three. This is a bit of a long one, so we'll have to, we'll have to go through this. We okay. were gone over the weekend, so a couple that uh, we're friends with stayed, with stayed at our house to watch the animals. At some point, the dog allegedly peed on our bed Now, here's what you need to know. Brooklyn, the dog, never goes on our bed. We'll catch her on the couch, but never on our bed. Also, Brooklyn, the dog, uh, almost never pees in the house. It's happened, but it's been several months since her last accident. Did our friends pee on our bed and try and blame it on our dog?
1: Uh, Well, your friend absolutely did pee on your bed. uh, (laughs) Because I know if I was house-sitting for someone, and I just... I mean, I'm I'm going to assume too, I'm going to take the leap that this is a house, not an apartment. And if somebody has a house, I'm on vacation. So I'm going to rage. I have, and I have dogs, like what a perfect environment to just get hammered and forget about all your responsibilities, like not peeing in your friend's bed uh, <laughs> and just kind of go ham, see what happens. And then uh, there's a perfectly good dog to blame, if anything, because they have no proof that you did it. And uh, I watch, you know, in quarantine, I've been watching a lot of people's court and uh, (laughs) there's no proof you're gonna win that case. So uh, blame the dog, who cares? What's
2: the most outrageous court uh, case that you've seen in in quarantine?
1: I mean, there's, I've watched pretty much every court show every day. uh, And it all really kind of blurs together. I mean, obviously the ones of like a sexual nature are always really compelling. Uh, because there's some embarrassing secret that comes out. And then, uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I mean, they really are one of a kind. So I really can't name one because they're all blending together. Uh, but I mean, they're on every day. I suggest you check them out. It's really good <laughs> entertainment. Uh, from, from like 11 to noon, you'll be in heaven.
2: <laughs> the next one comes in from uh, our buddy, Jacob Skronik. Uh, are you a soccer guy at all?
1: No, but I have been flirting with the idea of getting into it. Oh, you're When sure I moved so. to Philadelphia, yeah, when I moved to Philadelphia, I was thinking about, I never had a hockey team growing up and I didn't have a soccer team either because I grew up in San Francisco and the hockey and soccer teams are in San Jose and I don't oh, have a right. strong connection there. Gotcha. So I was like, maybe I'll adopt a hockey team and a soccer team when I go to Philadelphia. There you go. So I'm like, maybe I'm a union. What are they? Philadelphia union? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think, and, the, and a flyers guy all of a sudden, but yeah. I'm not a soccer guy, but I'll try to answer the question the best I can as one.
2: Okay. Um, so if Jose Mourinho, who's the manager of Tottenham Hotspur in England was in charge of the Tigers, which young high upside player would he freeze out in favor of a grizzled defensive first veteran? Um,
1: Ooh, man. That's a tough question because I don't even know what any of that means. <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and say, though, just as a guess, uh, I think Jake Rogers is getting that treatment right now. <laughs> Austin, Romine, Austin Romine is a veteran, but it's not like he's making so much money that he needs to start.
2: Right.
1: Uh, and if you have a 30-man roster, why not have three catchers? And if Jake Rogers or Austin Romine or Grayson Griner get hot, why not have them DH here and there? So I think that what's happening right now is Jake Rogers is getting blocked out because he had the best looking at bats of the whole summer camp. Everything was hit hard and in the air. He looked really good. Grayson Griner did too though, not to take anything away from him, but <laughs> they're not paying Romine enough to oblige them to start him all the time. So I thought that there should have been some room for Jake Rogers on the roster.
2: Yeah, I think that's without knowing any of any of what it meant. I think that's a great answer, uh, Jake. Oh, when you originally asked the question, yeah. <laughs> you you said something about uh, who is who are they going to freeze out in favor of Jordy Mercer, and I think that is that's the perfect Jordy Mercer is such a Jose Mourinho player. Uh, he's he just, he just does a job, and that's what Jose likes. Um, yeah. All right. So let's, and going back, absolutely should jump on, on the soccer thing. It's, it's the sport of the future. And I'm going to get
1: into it. I promise. <laughs>
2: uh, so Michael Litzner asks us true or false. The Tigers will not have a top three draft pick in 2021. It's a tough one.
1: Well, I mean, to go along with my over under, I guess I have to say true. Uh, they might end up I guess just because I have to commit to what I said earlier I'm going to say true that they won't have a top three pick but uh this is a good season to tank if things fall apart so you might see some teams fall apart I'm doing air quotes by the way (laughs) you might see some teams fall apart all of a sudden if things start to look grim really early so I wouldn't be surprised if they don't
2: Are you a big draft guy? Is Kumar the big prize or are there other guys out there that we should have on our radar? Considering we're probably going to be in that vicinity.
1: Yeah. It's really hard to tell because uh, the Vanderbilt, there's so much hit or miss with the high Vanderbilt picks historically. Mm. Not all of them have reached projection. And it's, but like, obviously dynamite program, excellent instruction, but also you know his pitch counts are a concern at this point and there's always like some weird hitter that like emerges out of nowhere or at least for most people that like are kind of casual draft people like I'm not super serious about it but I do try to know as much about the first couple rounds as possible and then when the projections start coming out I try to narrow down like who might get picked by the teams I'm covering and uh so I do think that uh I think he is, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Rocker kind of – because, I mean, we saw Austin Martin fall, and that was pretty surprising. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, it was a special draft because of financial considerations. But I was apprehensive about Martin just because of the whole Vanderbilt thing, to me, there isn't – like, they have a great pedigree, but it doesn't. they don't always pan out at the next level. And uh, I'm curious if people have similar reservations about a Vanderbilt pitcher, because it is kind of spotty as far as (laughs) drafting them goes.
2: Yeah. I think, I think Barton's going to be an exception. I I think he's going to be a real good player. Um, So at Mitch underscore from underscore Michigan asks, is this the year where the ballpark organist could slash should make a comeback?
1: Well, you guys had one.
2: Uh, I don't think so. I think we primarily just have, you know, your I'm assuming somebody with a with a soundboard playing playing tracks.
1: Yeah. I mean, frankly, I uh from living in LA and getting to cover games at Dodger Stadium, nothing beats a live organist. It's just everyone loves it. It's because they they their improv like their improv skills, like if you thought I answered that question great this organ player at Dodger stadium just has the perfect song for every moment. It's super fun. You just kind of need a human in there to kind of, you know, refire the energy. And even though there's not going to be any people in the stadium, but still you got to have some, something alive in there. And it'll come across on the broadcast. I mean, that's the only
2: way we're doing baseball. Yeah. And it
1: might give like, you know, Dan Dickerson an anecdote or something. You never know.
2: For sure, we'll give Jim Price an anecdote.
1: Oh, yeah, he's got, he's only anecdotes. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's a great way of putting it. Uh, last one is from Matt, at Matt Koslerich. Hello, gentlemen. I would like to know the three best things one can do in an empty baseball stadium asking for a friend. Yikes, that sounds ominous.
1: Mm, three best things. Well, I think that you have to try to long toss the center field fence. Um, Trevor side, Exactly. But I think from home plate to uh, center field, just to get a little bit of humility in you. Um, because if you look at baseball players and they do everything so effortlessly, uh, just to see how far you can, act, if you can even get it out of the infield at all, uh, you'll see like how difficult it is to do anything of any skill at any speed in, base, in Major League Baseball. So I think humble yourself, respect the hollow grounds, throw a ball at the center field wall. That'd be the first thing. Second thing, free concessions. Just oh yeah, go, yeah sneak into every concession stand, eat some hot dogs. All the beer is free. Get yourself a jersey. You know, do some shoplifting because hey, going to the ball game is it's a huge ripoff, and uh, I think that you should make some money back on this. And then the third thing, which is the third, sit in the dugout. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, just go sit in the dugout, hang over the ledge, you know, be a player for a minute, see what that perspective looks like. It's very cool. I was lucky enough to play my high school uh, championships. Uh, One was in, uh, it was called AT&T Park then, but the Giants Park uh, was my city high school championship. And then we played Oakland's champion in the Oakland Coliseum. So having the experience of being able to sit in a major league dugout is a really cool and unique experience. So I think just have a seat, maybe have one of your free beers in there and uh, <laughs> you know, just uh, howl at the moon and throw baseballs as far as you can.
2: Yeah. I, I can't disagree with any of that. The first thing that came to my mind was the scene from uh, rookie of the year where they're, you know, kind of having a pickup game on the field. Um, and also yeah. I could say capture the flag in an empty, like entire baseball stadium could be really fun.
1: Ooh, that is, I mean, there's a lot of ground to cover too. Yeah, so That would be uh could get real dangerous too, but uh, <laughs> that, that definitely would be a good use of your time.
2: All right. Um, Jules, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you. You know, Way more about um, some of the sides of the game that we typically try and uh, even get into on this show. So it was really refreshing to have a little intelligence to go along with with the the usual nonsense. So no, I it.
1: appreciate that. Thank you very much, man. It was a pleasure talking to you.
2: Yeah, we'll we'll definitely have you back on, and sometime when Eric is on the show, because I I know he would love to talk to you too.
1: But cool. Yeah, anytime. I mean, I I love this stuff. So uh, I mean, that's uh, all I really want to do is talk about baseball all day. So this is perfect for me.
2: Definitely yeah you you you, ha- you for sure have the talent I'm, I'm sure at some point mm-hmm. it will it will happen um, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can on Twitter. I am at jordan hall twenty three Jules is at Jules Posner at Podcast and once again, we love it if you take the time to subscribe rate and review us on Google Play iTunes, or Soundcloud. Uh, oh my apologies I've gone this this far. Do you have anything to um, obviously the Spencer Spencer Torkelson piece anything else that you're currently writing uh, that you have up recently that you want to um, direct people to?
1: Oh, no, I don't. Uh, I kind of just write as I as I go. They all kind of just pop in my head as I watch the games and make observations and do some research. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you ever want to call me an idiot, at Jules Posner on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I'm on Instagram, too, with the same handle, but that's like more my like regular life stuff. But some people are into that. I don't know. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if you just want to talk baseball or something, just shoot me a DM or whatever. I don't care. I'll talk about baseball with whoever, as long as you're like reasonably nice about it.
2: (laughs) Which is a pretty important distinction to make on on Twitter (laughs) these days. All right. Thanks Jules. Uh, We will hopefully be, hopefully Eric will be back from, from the UP by next week. I guess we'll find out, but by next week, we will have actual uh, results and games to talk about. Um, So thank you all for listening we'll catch you guys next week and eat them up tigers, eat them up.